Welcome to the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Colm Ferry. Colm is a senior software engineer at Narwhal Technologies. He enjoys speaking about NX, Angular, monorepos, JavaScript, and TypeScript. He's joining us from Northern Ireland. Welcome, Colm. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Colin, before we, uh, or Colin, excuse me, before we jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners a little bit more uh, introduction to yourself um, and talk about how you got started in the industry? Yeah, sure. So, I'm a software engineer at Narwhal and I'm working on NX. I'm on the NX core team, which is a monorepo tooling, build system tooling. And uh, I got started in the industry very young, actually. I wanted to build a text based game because all my friends were playing a text based game and we hated it because of certain aspects. We wanted to make our own one because we wanted it to be better. So I found out about PHP because of that. And that's what sort of sent me down a rabbit hole, which sent me to uni to do computer science. So I've got a bachelor's in computer science. As part of that, I was picked up for a scholarship, which involved a work placement at a company. From that company, I met an engineer who sort of took me under his wing a bit. And then that brought me to a different company where I met a different mentor who then took me to where I basically I'm now in the sense of like he's still a mentor so anything I have any issues with I go to him and that's just it's essentially how I came up through the ranks under the industry that's awesome man so speaking of what you're working on to these days what what's sort of like the framework and problem domain well you know kind of what are you solving on a day-to-day basis so right now I work in part of the Angular vertical on NX. So basically anything and all things Angular, we'll take a look at. Uh, that recently would have been around the Angular 14 upgrade and uh, micro front ends because our module federation support within NX because we had an implementation of that last year that we added, but we wanted to make it better because we had feedback since then. So we basically revamped that whole support. So that was the other big thing that we uh, that I worked on as well. Okay, and you mentioned micro frontends. What what is a micro frontend? So micro frontend is essentially a small piece of UI that can be injected into another application. I think is the best way of framing it nowadays in more recent terms because before it would have literally been a, a different app. Whereas with the advancements in the technologies around micro frontends, it's more like a, it could just be a component, a single component that you've got bundled and built somewhere else that you're now injecting into a different application somewhere else. So would you do that with like, um, like what technologies are involved? Uh, like, would you actually run um, a full Angular app as a micro front end inside of either a static app or, or a React app or something? Or would it be uh, something else? Well, it, it's definitely possible. I wouldn't recommend it. I think the the idea now is not to mix frameworks when it comes to micro front ends because it does lead to a lot of just difficulties with cross communication of state and CSS, how things are handled, any side effects. So, and then say you've got a team that needs to jump off across the different domains, and you've got 
then going from a React tech stack to like an Angular tech stack, that can just lead to difficulties since people don't understand that. So it's easier just to stick to the one tech stack, but it is possible. Uh, but I feel like we're moving more towards a trend of having, instead of a full Angular application running inside a different Angular application, it's at, say, an ng module that you've exported from your application that can be imported by a different application. So what makes it different between like a, just a module and a whole other micro front end? Or does the back end or connections to that back end come with that module? Um, it can do. It just depends on how you've written that module. So if you've written that to make connections to the back end, it will still know in terms of like where it's been, it should know to an extent of its location and where it's been imported from. So the connection strings like that may still work. But normally with front end, we don't try to connect directly to the database. So it will just be your REST services. So as long as they're still set up to work from the new domain of the application that you've injected into. So if your cross origin is set up such a way that it allows for those uh, connections, those requests, then it all should still work fine. I guess that's what I meant by the so so the rest of the rest services that you're connecting to that that connection string without that you're saying that would or would not come with the module that that would be configured through the new the application you're importing into or is that the- it could be both it, it's really up to you. you you could you could you could state from uh, an app level that this is the application that we're on this is the connection this is the rest services to use and then that can be picked up through the dependency injection system of an angular to be used I by see. that module that you're important or if that module is very specific to the rest service that it needs it could just have a hard picked or hard coded like rest service that it's pointing to gotcha gotcha okay so why why choose uh, a micro front end why not have just just like a, a single Angular application with multiple modules in it um, and just, just work on that? It's a good question, and it's one that's easy to answer, tough to implement in a way. The whole concept behind it is that people want autonomy. So normally you reach for micro front end once your organization is scaling up and you need teams that maybe can't communicate with each other because they live 12 hours away from each other or they it's finding... Uh, some disparity with just within the organization where certain teams just don't want to work with other teams. They want to have more control over their release cycle of their features. So it all comes down to this idea of it's an organizational constraint that micro front ends are trying to solve. Micro front ends don't tend to solve any technical problems. It's more that there's an organizational issue that the micro front ends can solve. Okay. So if you've got, okay, so you've got, um, multiple teams or, or even the same team, but uh, different developers that are spread out and they're, you know, like they have their own own domain uh, that they work on, which I guess would be each, each uh, micro front end that within that, that structure. Um, how, okay. So developer a finishes working on something and they want to get that put into the main application. Um, do they have to go in and modify the main application then? Or is there a way to, automatically pull those in yeah ideally not the way the technology set up at the moment is that your each of your micro front ends would be deployed to their own independent uh area so you could be an s3 bucket it could be a different service whatever it gets deployed somewhere where it lives and runs independently and then the host application which is your overall your your application your order application the main one it knows where to look for these other micro front ends because of where they're deployed to so because of that, you're just you're just deploy the micro front end to its own deployment location, and the then the outer app will know. Okay, that's 
that's there. It's a new it's a new version of it. It's the hash might be different. Some way of figuring out that it's different. We'll load it from there. Okay, so it's not a it it doesn't it doesn't become a compile time dependency. It's it's strictly a runtime yes. dependency. Yeah, that's cool. Um, are there are there um special features in Angular or React or 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 whatever front end that enable this or make it easier or is this um just something that you kind of have to construct on your own and, and make your application work that way i think it's more it's something that you're going to need to construct on your own i don't think any framework natively has support for micro front ends i could be wrong about that but i'm nearly sure it's some sort of other uh, level that you need to look at rather than the actual framework itself so for angular and for most things at the moment it's webpack so webpack is a plugin that you can use that's it that's a build time so like that's not your actual framework itself that's something else that's that's handling that and how is that achieved then how do we get all of these disparate micro front end pieces these these modules working together we had mentioned the the wrapper application or the host application i, I would assume at some point there has to be some kind of definition or, or something to to know what the entry point is in the the greater sphere of the application but like how are teams developing and deploying their their pieces of the application out and and how do they if if they are working that that 12 hours apart then then how are they working on the the greater whole yeah it's a good question uh the so loader application may be deployed once it's like a, and it just lives where it needs to live unless there's something that needs to be updated like global styles uh maybe a shared component library something like that Normally, it can probably just live on its own and not need to be redeployed. Then all your micro front ends themselves are deployed to a location. So each team may have its own release cadence that it's following. So when it has a feature complete, it might release a new version of itself and push that to production, which is its in deployment location. The other host application can then find that using the, just the same uh, URL path that it's looking for for that deployed location. And the backbone of that at the moment uh, is uh, focusing around module the module federation plugin that Webpack is offering. That's where a lot of focus is right now in this in the space at the moment. Beforehand, it could let have just been an iframe. Like if we go really far back, it could have just been an iframe. You have an iframe, you're pointing to a location on the web. It's still there. It's not. It's the new version that you've loaded on. The real difficulty then becomes around communicating state potentially and messages, events, things like that between micro front ends. So previously, we would have had to have some kind of like messaging bus or a pub sub kind of pattern where you could publish an event and these other front ends could listen to it somehow. So there could be a lot of complexity around that. Module Federation kind of handles that because of how it loads modules now. Like that's the, that's the kind of the, the big advancement is that it's loading a module in as though it's its own part of the application. So it's basically taking the same concept of lazy loading a module. So it the module doesn't really know where it loves. It's been loaded under the application. It still can take any arguments or any props or use the dependence injection system from Angular just as way a normal like component or module could beforehand, as if it was part of that build, except that it's only resolved at runtime. But it's using the same it's using the same technique as lazy loading to allow that to happen. So that simplifies like the communication of data between the micro front ends as well. So module federation, this is something that is this built into Angular or is this that that is allowing that to happen or or what 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 sort of what's the technology that allows us to be able to to, to handle this? 
Yeah, so module federation is a technology that is exposed via a plugin to Webpack. So it's a Webpack plugin that you can set up and use. And Angular under the hood uses Webpack. So if you and uh, and it also like exposes a function that you can then pass on your own custom configuration to override certain parts of their own abstracted configuration because they never really expose that. And by using that, you can then set up the module federation plugin to let it work with Angular. A lot of React apps probably use Webpack more often, so it's easier. They're more used to working with a Webpack config, so they're exposed to it. Uh, something like Vue, I'm pretty sure, uses Vite, ES build, potentially. So they would also maybe need to look at a Webpack solution of how to build their application first before being able to implement that plugin. And so that allows uh, when the Webpack is run, when it's when it's building, or that the initial, you know, the sort of the compile time uh, piece, there's what, like almost like a promise or something like that, sort of like a stand in is sort of put in place so that uh, we can get through that. But then uh, it doesn't actually pull for that module until later. Yeah, that's more or less exactly how it works. They, they actually offer a promise syntax where you can just write a promise in the config to then say, okay, maybe we need to load a different version of our different hash or we need to change, check what location is at this run, at the runtime before loading it in. So there is that there is a promise syntax that can be used. But yeah, essentially it says, okay, we've found this import statement that's important from somewhere that we can't find. Uh, it's actually going to be somewhere that we can resolve at runtime. At runtime, we will look for that container. So Webpack will set up a container at runtime that hosts the module. And then we will, and Webpack at runtime will find that container, uh, initialize it, and then it will say, okay, this module lives on this container. And then it will set up like the mapping from that import statement to that now remotely loaded module. Is there anything special or any gotchas that you for like hosting those modules that are that are uh, those micro front ends? I don't say there's any gotchas about hosting it. You would host it just as you would a normal application, as though it is run as a normal application. There's some gotchas around sharing dependencies that you need to consider. So if you if you uh, have a host application that's run on Angular 13 and you don't update that to Angular 14, and then you're micro front ends are now in Angular 14 and you've shared that, then there can be an issue there between compatibility of Angular 13 on the host and Angular 14 on the micro front end on the remote application. So Webpack allows you to say, okay, I want to share Angular and it wanted to be at this version. Otherwise, if it if it doesn't find that version on the ready loaded bundle, load its own load its own version of Angular in so it can run using its own Angular. Normally, that would be fine with something like React because it means you could mix React versions easily. But with Angular, it's a bit more difficult because then it breaks the whole dependency injection tree and things like that. So the whole hierarchy, injection hierarchy would break. So you need to kind of keep those aligned. But it, it means that, say, you are using Lodash 4, say. I'm not sure what version of Lodash is out. You could be using Lodash 4 on one micro front end and then Lodash 5 on a different micro front end. It means that instead of the one using the newer version having to try and work with Lodash 4 if it's already loaded in the browser, it can say, okay, I don't, I'm don't, i not compatible with Lodash 4. Go and fetch my own bundle from my own deployed location for of Lodash and pull that on and use that. So that's a kind of gotcha where you can set that up. You have to kind of set up which dependencies you need to be shared and what they should be, what value they should, or what version you're, you're expecting. 
you don't have to do it with everything. It's just like specific ones that you really want to be able to be shared between microphone lens. That that sounds pretty slick. Um, I do. It does a little red flag uh, sort of popped up in my head because it seems like you you got all these different teams developing these different micro front ends. If they're depending on different versions, that could really add a lot of loading time uh, into your into your app. How do you handle that? Yeah, so that is that's a big concern. There's not a good answer to it really at the moment uh, because of the single version policy that NX tries to. Uh, push and because that also helps fight against microfront then anarchy which is like the whole idea of mixing versions and think dealing with that we try to say okay everything should be aligned in the one version we'll share all your dependencies at a certain version because what that means then is if someone does get out of sync version wise it will immediately flag up in the console they say okay we weren't expecting this version we can't work with it so then that kind of forces you to have to upgrade one of your microfront ends whatever is out of date to use the same version it's not ideal in the sense that the all our gotcha would be when you share a vendor package like that, like Lodash. Webpack Webpack can't do code or can't do tree shaking as efficiently because it doesn't know what functions or what uh, methods is being used by the all our microphone things because they're not available build time for it to analyze that. So it can't tree shake as well because it needs to have everything available in case in case it's being used. So you could end up having a bigger bundle size hut at initial load, but then it means that then throughout your application, the user's going to have a more pleasant experience because everything's going to be a lot snappier because all the dependencies are already loaded. So you're trying to make a trade-off there of they want initial page load or they want progressive like, page load. Not progressive page load, but like progressive performance throughout the application. And I would imagine the the whole reason behind this with sharing up the dependencies is that we don't want our users, we don't want our clients to to download 18 versions of React or, or 13 versions of, of Angular. There's the user side of that for definite, but then there is also like the team side of that. How do you manage then if a team's on React 15, trying to integrate with a React 18 app? So like there's that whole technical constraint as well. What about those teams that are building out their own reusable components or components that should be reused amongst different micro front ends in the the larger ecosystem. Are there ways to easily share those modules without becoming their own micro front end as well? Or or how how do you how would you go about that? Would you still do the package in in npm and publish that? Or or how do you share modules or share dependencies uh, that are being written in house? Yeah, so if you're in a polyrepo setup, then I think the only answer really to that is you package up as an NPM, you release it to a private registry or something similar to that, and you use that because one, it's versioned, which means it comes on as a vendor. You can then dictate what version is being used by the microfront ends. So it's not a microfront end in itself, but it's still under that same treatment of, okay, we're using version three of our internal shared components. It's all microfront ends using version four so that it can still work in case you do make a change to your shared components that one app uses, but a different app hasn't released yet since that really since the new version of the components was released. So like you've got this kind of timing issue then where you might have released a new version, version four of all of your shared components. App A hasn't updated to use it, but app B has, app B releases that use these new versions. You can come on to like that whole version mismatch and that conflict again. So because it's a versioned NPM package using the shared uh, setup within the module federation plugin, it means that you can avoid that kind of conflict. It does mean you're loading your shared components twice. 
is the only thing. One for each micro front end, but they will continue to work. That's the other side of this is you're not going to break users by doing it. That would be for a polyrepo, but in terms of like a monorepo setup, if it's in-house in a monorepo, then you've got your shared components in the monorepo. They're being consumed directly by each of the micro front ends. It doesn't matter when those micro front ends release as much whenever there's a new version of of the app because the way it's shared at the moment is that a release set would be set up is that if a shared component changes, then we would like in, in terms of like an NX monitor, we would say, okay, the shared component changes, that is, has affected your micro front end app A, that's affected your micro front end app B because they depended on that shared library which says you should deploy now. We've changed these, you should deploy so that they're using the late, they're constantly using the latest version. So that, again, it keeps that whole single version policy kind of idea where everything is up to date and using the same things. There's no conflicts. It keeps everything smooth. Are, are there ways to avoid the problem of introducing breaking changes at that point, potentially of team A updated a, a shared component within the mono repo, but team B was knee deep in their own feature work and and can't necessarily address the breaking changes? Is there a way to mitigate that problem and and still continue working on their feature while ignoring the breaking change of the component? I think that's kind of like an organizational dilemma, Mm. really, right? It comes down to communication. It's like, okay, we made a breaking change here to this component. We're letting you aware of it. How are you going to handle it? (laughs) Do you kind of like hand off that problem, kind of? In terms of how we would think of things and how we would work normally in a monorepo setup is that if we break something from a different team, we would tend to try fix that because we have most of the knowledge on that change at that time because we made that break and change. We can be there to fix it. And I feel like that would work better. But again, we've got situations with organizations who don't have that trust between teams. So it, it, it all comes down to how do you communicate? And with that level, it's just, it is just down to the increase in communication, making sure there's clear pathways to communicate between teams to make those changes known so that they can be fixed. What is a monorepo and uh, how is it different from the repository that I'm a, I might work at or work on uh, at my work? So a monorepo in itself is can be looked at in like two different lights, really. It can be looked at as a co-location of code or it can be looked at as a more repository aware system of like all the applications within that repository so it could like if you think of it in the javascript ecosystem there was always like a learner which was like the go-to for monorepos and it basically allowed you to have multiple applications living side by side with their own build build configuration build scripts they they were kind of independent of each other but the packages were learner would figure out some dependencies between them for sharing packages if they were linked if they need to be released it would dedupe some like node modules that were shared between them if they were same version it would do some it would take you some of the way there towards what you'd want from a monorepo but the way we would look at monorepos like is would be termed like a google style monorepo where you've got all your apps all your libraries all together in a monorepo in a repo in one single repository but it does more than code location. Like there's a set of tools built around it so that they can interact more clearly. We can get more a dependency graph kind of thing where we can see how these apps depend on each other, how they depend on separate libraries within that repository, and how that can how we can then make changes that don't break or make changes that, that if they do break, we know what they've broken straight away and we can make more valuable changes based on that. Speaking of dependencies, 
is it not extremely tempting to generate a dependency on you know that team's work like if you if you're like oh i need a sortable list or something and you just search sortable list and you find that team x has created something um and you decide to just link over to it doesn't that get to kind of a spider web are there are there ways to prevent that is it is it just discipline or it could and yes there is a degree of discipline there to prevent that but also there are to- there's tooling around that so that's the thing about why we would envision how do you work in monorepo is that there's a lot of tooling that makes it basically help you not have those issues and not have certain roadblocks it keeps you working it gives you a set of guardrails that you can stay with on while you're working with the monorepo we've got like an es lint rule which would say okay this uh, apps under this tag or this scope can't import from apps under this scope. So basically, you could, create a, you could create a tag that says, okay, this project that I'm on is an app and it can't import from other applications. It can only import from libraries. So any project that is then tagged app would fire up an error in ESLint. They say, okay, we can't import from there because it's an app. We Or if you set up with then a tag on a different project that is set up to be a library, like a shared library between applications. We could say it's type library and it's scope shared. And that way then that rule can say, okay, this is a library that is intended to be shared. That's fine. We can import from there. You could have a library that's only intended to be consumed by one specific application. So you can say that it's like type uh, type library, domain, app A. And only that, then you can set up a rule to say, okay, only app A can import from any library or any project that has the label or the tag domain app a. and that way then it means you can't you you literally can't import from those applications allowing those guard that keeps the guardrails up and means that you stay within your your lane kind of and only import where you can and should import from what can happen then though is if you do make a search and you see okay there's sort of last here with an app a we could make use of that that's when you could open up a communication channel with team a and say okay we could make use of this. Is this something we could turn into a shared component? Can we create a library that'll be shared between us and we can use that that component? We can extract it from that application and it can be used with one the two different applications instead. So I guess discoverability of things that other teams are working on that might be useful to your team is kind of a benefit. Um, are there other benefits to working in a mono repo? Um, you know, like the the way I've done it in the past is you have one repository and that's like it generates an NPM package that has some shared components in it and then each app just imports the latest version of the shared components NPM package. And I guess you, you could still do that with the mono repo, but, but like everything's visible. What's the benefit to having like all of this, this code in one spot? So it means we can do better like static analysis on the code that's there. Again, we're looking at the concept of having a dependency graph where we can say, okay, app A depends on library A, which depends on library C, which depends on shared library E or something like that. Like just some kind of tree of all these different projects and how they are hooked together, how they're composed together, which means like if you can think of like a tree that then spreads out and so many different branches, we can then say, okay, this leaf was affected. And by changing this leaf, that has impacted this R library, which also depends on it, and it has impacted this R library and this this application. So we can go up, we can like traverse up a tree of what was affected by our change. So then we can get a benefit of saying, okay, okay, our change has affected like four or five different things. 
how do we know it's not breaking? Because we know it's been affected, we can run the unit tests on it, we can run end to end tests on any app that was affected, we can rebuild that app or any of those libraries because we know that it was touched by our change, it was affected by the change that we made. So it means we can be very aware of what cha- how, how much impact our changes actually make and how that could affect all our applications or libraries. So we get that benefit of really fast feedback on our change. Instead of potentially you make a change in an NPM package, you publish that package, you um, you install it in a different application. Well, I know you could use NPM link, but I'm just going through the full flow if you had to install it. Then you run that code, and then you see, oh, that broke something here. But then you've got like 10 apps, and you have to go through each of the apps that use it and try and figure out, okay, this is broken in this app it's not broken this app it wasn't actually been used in this application so you, it cuts down a lot of that time because we can tell you straight away okay this whole this whole uh, tree was a, this section of the tree was affected by the change that you made so that's one of the biggest benefits that we can offer through a monorate booth is that static analysis that you can then perform on the code that's there is that all built into the tooling i mean obviously there's some like setup that would have to happen but that's all built to the tooling and yeah. then like Front-end build times are horrendous. <laughs> so, like, if you've affected 10 applications accidentally or or just they're, you're working in the shared component library and, and they're all using your shared components, I mean, that, that could easily get to an hour-plus build times every time that you make a change before you know if you've broken something. How, how do you deal with that problem? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because that's where we would then look into like our further offerings of an NX itself. Like I don't want to make this sound like a marketing pitch, but that's NX has has seen these problems and we've tried to deal with them. So that's where you could like parallelize some of the builds so that that will one help cut down what is actually being run. But then like NX offers a cloud solution, which is like a paid solution where well it's got a ton of free hours as well. You get like five hundred free hours of save time. So mostly free for most people where you then have an option of using what we call distributed task execution, which will batch together certain up, uh, certain tasks and split them out into their own like CI agents. So you could then take four, you could then take six builds and take it to an agent and have the agent run three in parallel. So you've two sets of runs on one agent, but you've got that then split across four or five agents. So then that like compounds your parallelization that you're then performing to an extent, potentially, which can massively reduce the, those build times. Okay, so we we started by talking about front end uh, micro front ends and module federation which basically allows you to disconnect the dependencies and like host the application sort of separately so that it allows it to be more independently deployable but it comes at a cost of the host application being able to like work through all of the like dependencies and all of like you know we we talked about couldn't do effective tree shaking and that, all of that sort of stuff. Doesn't a mono repo with shared components undermine? Don't aren't these in like conflict uh, as far as like the way that micro front ends are actually like making from a from a code standpoint le- like disconnecting things and code federate moderation is like disconnecting like the direct uh, dependencies, whereas like a mono repo and shared shared dependencies are actually like instead of using a package that is that could ha- that has like less connection there you have more direct connection so to me like these two things seem to be in contrast to each other could could you explain how they're not or wh- what i'm missing yeah no uh in a sense yeah they are 
it depends then how you deal with like if that work that shared component library is living in your workspace and then it updates and you see that it does affect your three micro front ends. There are some uh, solutions where you will have a hash of the shared components library and you will use that to then compare, okay, my micro front end A has been deployed and it's got and it's using the shared component library with the hash of whatever. And then you update the shared component, you release micro front end B before micro front end A has a chance to update. And then that shared component library also now has a new hash because it was updated. So that we'll see that that's different. The hashes there are different, or you could even version it if you needed to. But just some way of it, there can be, there are solutions of identifying even with on a monorepo that this internal library that's on the monorepo still is different to the knowledge so that the module loading will use a different one. So, you, it, it, but then you also then do get the benefit of all the, the monorepo benefits of knowing if your chain, what your change has affected. You can communicate, you know, immediately what teams to communicate to to tell, okay, this change is coming up. This is what they expect from it and what you can do to fix it. Here's maybe a PR where I've updated it. If you want to implement that PR, if you can merge it straight away, things like that can all be then done so you can increase that communication between teams. The other thing that we tend to look at, though, is that micro front ends are great, but the benefits that they offer can also be achieved through pure module federation just the technology itself without going so far as to say, okay, we need independent deployments of a full application. Because it's still using like essential lazy loading and these things are are split up, are found at runtime, you could have a monolith application that you decide to split into like say certain verticals, which would be your different domains or different features about the throughout the monolith application. And you can say, okay, we're going to have each of these set up as an application that uses module federation. And then using module federation, that means you're splitting out the build into five or six. Each feature, each domain has its own build now. So you're taking a monolith application that has a really large build time and breaking it down into four, five, six, 12, 20, whatever many features, domains your application has, and so many different verticals now. But when you then go to build, you'll say, okay, I want to build my host application, my overall application. It depends on 20, 30 other micro front ends. Build them first because we know this host application depends on it because our affected graph, our tree our dependency graph knows that it depends on these applications. So we'll build them first. Because NX Cloud offers a distributed cache, it can say, okay, team B has already built their version of this application of of micro front end A. They've already built that. It's been built on latest. It's been built on main, develop, whatever. Just use their cache of that build. We don't need to rebuild that. It's been cached. Let's just use their cache. So instead, we will just pull down their cache. We don't need to rebuild micro front end A. Go through that whole list of micro front ends that you have and see, okay, this cache matches the hash. We don't need to rebuild. It's already been rebuilt by that team. So now you're, you're breaking down a monolith into 20 applications where you could have 18, 19 cache hits, and maybe only your change has only affected one micro front end. So you're only rebuilding one micro front end instead of all 20 of them. And also, instead of building one monolith application that would have taken a really long time to build. And that you can get that from just module federation on its own, which is kind of the same power that you get from micro front ends. The only difference is that independent deployability. Although, in saying that, you can still achieve a close, as close as possible to that. Maybe your release cadence is a little bit different, but it's as close as possible without having to worry about, okay, we have a shared components library, we're changing that, we need to figure out how to version things because of that. Most of that 
complexity comes around build time or most of the complaints come around build time and we can solve that without going as far as full micro front ends. You mentioned Lerna and we are recording this in early June of 2022. I know in the last month or two, there was quite the kerfuffle going on on the internet that Lerna was no longer being supported. And I think Narwhal actually came to the rescue and, and took on at least the, the maintenance and support duties. You've also mentioned NX a couple of times, of course, and, and that's another highly thought of tooling library out there. Why don't, why don't you give us just a, a brief overview of, of what those types of tools provide the end user or, or the developers uh, working in this space? Yeah, sure. So uh, the tool in itself is based around your need. So like a learner, a style of workspace would tend more towards uh, code location uh dependency and being able to release packages so it does a very good job of like being able to release npm packages and bump in versions whereas tooling such as nx doesn't focus so much on like package release in that sense where it doesn't manage those versions for you but it does take a different approach to how you would manage a monorepo so instead of just code lo- code location it would rely more on like a single version policy where you've got a set one single set of npm dependencies at your root of your monorepo and it would then use static analysis for tooling to then benefit how you work with on that monorepo there now would be more each app each application within the monorepo each package within the monorepo can still use its own set of node node modules and will only dedupe the ones that are common between them yeah and the uh, the tagline on nx.dev mentions a smart fast and extensible build system so Hopefully that can address some of the issues that, that Clayton mentioned on slow build times for front end applications. How is that accomplished then? Yeah, so like I was saying, uh, part of the caching system. So any command that you run, we cache locally. So if you run test on a library, then it will cache that output. We'll cache that uh, the the terminal logs, everything like that. We'll create a hash for it uh, for that library for that project. And then if you were to run that project again and it hasn't been changed, we'll just read from cache because there's no need for you to rerun that. So we'll try, and hit, we'll try and hit cache as much as possible to reduce what you actually then are building or rebuilding or testing or retesting, lunting, relunting. So as much as possible, we'll try to have cache hits so that can dramatically reduce then your build times, your test times, length times, things like that. And then we take that further with NX Cloud where you've got distributed cache. So if I was to run a build on the application and then my teammate and different country, different city, run the build, they would look at my cache as well. So then you can see how that would expand out to even CI. So if like when CI runs a build, it will store its, its cache. And then we can say, okay, well, we're pulling down main. Main already ran CI. CI created a cache. We can just pull the cache from CI. And that way, we don't really have to rebuild locally. We can just say, okay, CI has the latest cache. We'll use that cache instead. And it will pull down like all the outputs, so like the build artifacts and things like that. So what else? What what have we missed or or maybe glossed over during the conversation? Are there things that, that you would like the, our listeners to be aware of or, or look further into? I would like them to look into micro frontends and module federation, mainly around that whole concept of do you really need micro frontends or is module federation enough for you? Like micro frontends, I would only recommend if you really need that independent deployment, you've got like a really tight release cadence on different teams. Again, even then, I would say try and talk to your organization, try to go up your org, org chart, try and figure out some way that maybe you don't have to do that. But 
again, maybe if it's all down to just build times that you're trying to figure out a way to reduce your build times, look at Module Federation because Module Federation, especially with NX and with NX Cloud with the distributed cache, could get you there and even further. Like if even if you may not think that your build is slow, using Module Federation with NX and NX Cloud could really massively improve your your build times. And then again, they get less time spent waiting on builds. It's just more time that you get to the right code. I don't know about anybody else, but I hate just waiting around for the terminal to complete run, <laughs> complete its operations. Awesome. Uh, are there any resources that you can point our listeners to to kind of help them get started? There's a few that I could uh, probably provide that can go into the show notes. Uh, NX.dev is a great one for documentations on NX. Uh, I have resources in terms of like talks given already on micro frontends and module federations that I could I could send over. I just I, I couldn't give you a link off the top of my head. <laughs> right. Uh what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those maybe looking to level up their own careers? Yeah, something that I that helped me greatly was a mentor, having a mentor to just to even tell you what you should know. <laughs> like I think one of the biggest caveats that you have is or one of the biggest problems you can have is not knowing what you don't know. So you don't even know what you need to look into. So a mentor is really good in the sense that they may see something or they may know things that you should be looking into, you should be trying to learn. And that that's a really valuable asset. Also not easy to get a mentor. So I also feel like an, a way of getting that kind of insight is also going onto Twitter. Like tw- I personally find like the conversations on tech Twitter can be, they can go two ways. They can get obviously get the negative side of things and you get people that will just bash on other people or bash on certain technologies, certain frameworks. But and amongst all that, you often find that they're talking about something that maybe you don't know about. And then that's a good opportunity to learn something about the, about an idea or a concept or a tool that you haven't heard about. Like if they're bashing on this tool, why are they bashing on it? What does it offer? So then you can look into that tool and see what is there and what is also in the space. And then you can make your own comparisons. But you're, at the same time, you're making that step to learn things about the, the ecosystem. So speaking of Twitter, uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Yeah, Twitter's probably the best place for me to find out what I'm doing. And that my handle is Ferry Column, so my surname and then my first name. And then I post somewhat regularly, try to get involved in a lot of Angular conversations, a lot of make a front-end monorepo conversations or anything else that just picks, takes me. I, I enjoy getting involved on. <laughs> Colin, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us tonight. I know it's late over there on that side of the pond, so I appreciate you uh, staying up late and, and having a good chat with us. Uh, if there's anything you need from us or anything that we can do for you, be sure to let us know. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. That was Colin Ferry. Colin is a senior software engineer at Narwhal Technologies. He enjoys speaking about NX, Angular, Monorepos, JavaScript, and TypeScript. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs>